Good morning. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, so if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, you can, under the seat in front of you, without making your neighbor feel disturbed, there might be a Bible underneath their seat. You can grab that. And if, if you really don't have a physical Bible, you're welcome to take that with you. Let that be our gift to you. We'd love for you to have God's Word with you. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. We're in this series looking at Jesus' life and ministry and, oh, is it ever so pertinent and relevant and important for us just to watch him, just to pay attention to him and to carefully study his actions, his words. Why does he do these things? You know, take a moment to read through a familiar passage and just ask the Holy Spirit, what am I missing here? What else is in this passage? You know, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, about 400 years before he was born, ancient Greece developed an annual vote in which any citizen could be canceled and expelled from the city of Athens. Did you know that? They created this thing called cancel culture. It's the craziest thing. (laughs) During January or February, they don't use the same Gregorian calendar, but that's the season in which they would be in. During January and February, they would allow for their people to write a name, any name in which they chose, on a broken piece of pottery. That was like their scrap paper of the day. There's some shards. They're actually called ostraca. That's where we get our word ostracism, by the way. And they would take their ostraca, they would write down a name of somebody that they thought doesn't belong here, shouldn't have a place here, shouldn't have a voice here. We need to cancel them and silence them. And so they'd place them in urns at official places and the officials would come and they would count them. And if the count rose to 6,000 or more, then the government would say, Jack Napier got 6,000 votes and you're out of here. And for 10 years, one decade, I had to leave the city of Athens and be shamed by Greece. Now, Greece at that time, that's the beginning really of Greco uh, power, you know, Alexander the Great and all that and Hellenization. They had this way of using this for political power and abuse because you would never count the shards with the king's name on it, the emperor's. And the officials are the ones who counted them and knew who was, you know, who was what. And so they would cancel people and silence them. But, you know, history tells us this ended a long time ago with Greece, right? We don't still do things like this. This past week, I watched a documentary titled Paint the Wall Black, the story of Nini's Deli. It's a, it was a deli in Chicago owned by this man's parents, and uh, he really took charge and owned this and, and decided he's going to have this prominent, he was like one of the top 100 uh, restaurants, food chains in the world, got all kinds of awards, got signed with Nike and Adidas, and famous people would come to his store, and And he became a Christian, and he wanted to share love with all of the customers, and this just became a great place until 2020, until just uh, not too long ago, because they tried to force him to say that you agree with Black Lives Matter. And when he did not post his Wednesday post with the black box and say that he supports the agenda, not because he doesn't care about black people, he's a minority and he loves people and he's very much for racial reconciliation, he just didn't want to agree with mainstream media and and, and feel tied up like, I have to agree with everything you say. And so they tore his place down. They destroyed his place. 
Citizens who are not willing to bow down to and support extreme leftist ideals are experiencing persecution and all kinds of threats. If you don't agree with the narrative posed by mainstream media, you are automatically labeled as an enemy, an outcast, a racist, a bigot, a you-fill-in-the-blank, just derogatory terms, one who's deserving of hatred, judgment, punishment, physical harm, bodily harm, financial harm, harm of every kind, even to the point of death. Conservatives, especially Christians, are quickly becoming ostracized in the public eye. We do not have the same influence that we used to have 100 years ago in America. Christians really had a pretty sweet ride here in America for about 150 years. We Christians and conservatives were somewhat respected, and they were kind of in authority, but it's not so today. Now, before we start feeling bad for conservatives and Christians, realize that minorities in America's history have, been, have experienced the same kind of oppression and violence and persecution, unjust treatment, as conservatives are being treated today. It's not new with us. It wasn't even new with Greece 2,500 years ago. Human beings have had an illness of sin, of treating each other unfairly, and when we want to get the upper hand, we will do things and turn a blind eye to it in order for us to stand on top. Now, someone might say, Jack, you're not preaching to society. You're not preaching to the world. You're preaching to a, a room full of Christians, and they all agree politically and in every way. You're just throwing red meat to the dogs. Of course they're going to love that. That might be true in some sense. I know that a lot of you probably agree that it's not fair, that freedom of speech is important. Not for me and not for business, not for money, but for a society which abuse and neglect is limited because we allow people to share and to live. We allow grace and patience with one another. But maybe I am preaching to you. Maybe Christians in general, not every single one of us individually, but maybe Christians in general feed into injustice in passive ways. I want you to humble yourself and just think for a moment. Are our hands guilty of ignoring and ostracizing certain groups of people? I'm not saying we're throwing rocks at them, but we sure aren't kind to them. We don't love them, and we don't go out of our way to care for them. We don't reach out to them. Maybe it's true that our passive hatred, in some sense, not all of you, but in some sense, we have tolerated and turned a blind eye because, well, those are the untouchable, the unapproachable, the dirty, the filthy I've created a Christian bubble, and there are certain people I just don't want to interact with. You can't blame me for that. What are you trying to say? Would Jesus lead me to go to them? Would Jesus want me to go out of my way to touch them and care for them and talk to them? And What would Jesus want us to do? So turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to read a very short story, five verses long, a simple story, but a complex message. There's multiple audiences in this story, and we're just going to play the part of one temporarily. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, of the 61 defilements named in the law, in the book 
of the book of the law, the Mo- Moses' writings, leprosy was second only to death. It was the most unclean condition that you can have, except for death. You wouldn't touch dead bodies, that would make you unclean. And secondly, you wouldn't touch lepers. You wouldn't have anything to do with leprosy. Do you know that the word for leprosy in Hebrew is zara'at or tsara'at? They have like a TZ thing going on. Tsara'at. And it, the root word for leprosy actually means to smite. The Jews would think of leprosy as you were stricken by God. You were an outcast. And this man had leprosy all over him. Now, if you go back into the law of Moses, if you look into the scriptures, you find in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, they deal with skin disease and leprosy. And in in Leviticus chapter 13, it talks about the different kinds of leprosy. And we have writings from the Jewish priests. Do you know that they would categorize 72 different kinds of leprosy, everything from a rash to a boil? Now, if you have a queasy stomach, I want to show just a couple pictures. And, uh, you know, if if you've got a sensitive tummy, just look away for a moment. But there's some pictures up there, Uh, a man with boils on him, a woman with a different kind of leprosy where her skin almost is like alligator skin. It's rough and tough. There's uh, leprosy on the right side. That picture, that black and white picture is actually of a leprosy that you've probably heard of Hansen's disease um, where you start, the, the bacteria starts eating away at your flesh and deforming your bones and doing all kinds of icky stuff to you. And God commanded, back in Leviticus, you can look at chapter 13, verses 45 and 46 is kind of the summary of chapter 13. And he said that leprosy made a person unclean. You can't live in the town. You can't live with your family and friends. You can't be around people. You had to super social distance. You had to go outside of the camp. You had to be uh, evaluated by the priest. You had to be stay outside of the, of the camp for, for various reasons. And God gave these restrictions because there were some skin diseases that were not only contagious, but they were deadly. So God was trying to protect the people. I I mentioned Hansen's disease. It's that infection caused by a slow-growing bacteria called Mycobacterium lapri. The disease is known as the walking dead or the living death. It's where we get zombies from. I don't know if you knew that. That's where zombies originated. People treated lepers as if they were already dead. It didn't matter how many, what kind of leprosy they had. Even just a skin rash, you were a leper. And the Jewish customs were strict for all lepers. One rabbi wrote, Whenever I see a leper, I throw stones at him, lest he come close to me. A leper had to remain 50 paces away from people. That's more than six feet. They created leper colonies. Lepers could be around each other, but they couldn't be around the people. And so they stayed in caves and different places right outside, little camps they created because They needed community. They wanted to stay alive. It's not like they wanted to die. But they were outcasts. If a person walked toward a leper, the leper was forced to cover his mouth, the bottom half of his mouth. So basically, the bottom half of his face, you read in Leviticus 13, you know, his, his bottom portion. And he would have to yell out and shout, unclean, unclean, twice, so that it would be no mistake that this man's a leper, you need to stay away. Don't breathe in his air. Don't be around him. Do you know that God knew more than scientists did back in Leviticus 13? He would tell them it's contagious. You you don't want to spread this. Even the clothes you wear, the, the tools you use, burn them, throw them away. If they have anything on them, get rid of them because God was trying to protect the people. And so a leper became, in the eye of the Jewish culture, as 
an outcast and someone who's unapproachable, untouchable, not untouchable like unstoppable, but untouchable as in unapproachable. Do not be around these people. Now, they missed God's point and God's heart and mission in this, and Jesus shows that. But they just realized there's certain people we don't want to be around. We're not touching those people, and lepers were them. That was this man. And look what happened when he met Jesus. While he was in one of the towns, a man who was there who had leprosy all over him. By the way, we know it wasn't uh, Hansen's disease because if it was all over him, he would have been dead already if it was that. So it was a different kind of leprosy, but he had leprosy all over him, and he saw Jesus' face. I'm sorry, he saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He sees him, falls straight to, or straight to the ground, and begs him. He doesn't say, unclean, unclean. He calls out for help. Now, there's three principles you can learn from the leper, and they come full circle around at the end for us. But the first thing you see when the leper, the unapproachable, uh, meets Jesus, that you have to approach Jesus with humility and faith. You know, John says that if everything about Jesus was written down, I suppose even the world couldn't contain all the books that would be written. There's a lot of stories, a lot of encounters with Jesus, but God desired this one. He picked this one. He wanted you and me to hear and to read this one. Why was he treating this story uniquely for us to look on and meditate on? He approached Jesus with humility and faith. When he says he's if you're willing, he doesn't mean like if you've ever been at the grocery store and, uh, you know, a stranger's like, hey, hey, if you're willing, would you, could you just watch my stuff? I'll be right back. I got to go get this thing and then come back. And you're like, oh, inconvenience, first world problems. Sure, because I'm a Christian and people know I'm a pastor in town. Sure, I'll watch the buggy. You know, you watch the buggy. You're willing to, but you don't really want to. You're like inconvenienced. That is not the sense in which the word willing is used here. This word speaks of desire. If you want to, you can make me clean. If you really want to. You know what this leper was asking Jesus? The same question that a lot of you have probably asked God in your time of trouble. God, do you even really want to help me? If you really want to help me, I know you can make me clean. I know that you can if you really want to. And notice that he doesn't say, if you, really, if, you're, if you really want to, if you're willing, you can declare me clean. That's not what he says. You know what every leper wanted a priest to say about him? Declare me clean. If you would just declare me clean, I'd have about seven more days where I got to go skip town just for a little while, and then I come back and I prove it to you that I'm really clean, and then I'm welcome back into society. They had a whole process. You could read it in Leviticus 14. It's too long for me to read it right now. But that's what they wanted. Lepers and untouchables, unapproachables, they wanted him to say, you are clean. But that's not what the leper asked him. That's not what he says. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I don't want to just be, it to be said that I'm clean. I want to be made clean. This is a deep heart desire. God, if you're willing, I know you can. If you want to, you can make me clean. Leviticus, or sorry, in Luke chapter 5, verse 13, reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
Jesus reaches out and touches him. Now, what's interesting about this particular story is that Jesus could have just said, you're healed, right? Could Jesus heal someone with a word? Of course he could. But that's not all this leper needed, was it? This leper hasn't been touched in a long time. I don't know if you've ever gone unnoticed. I know if you ever go to a a nursing home. One time when I was a youth pastor, we took all all of our kids to uh, a couple nursing homes in town. And I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to write cards. We're going to give it to them. We're going to sing to them. But if you're able to hug them, give them a hug. We go to the nursing homes. And these kids, these teenagers with their cards, their made-up cards, you know, folded sheets of paper, would hug the people. And man, some of them would just like not let go. I don't want you to let go. They hadn't been hugged in a while, some of them. Jesus reached out and touched him. I do want to make you well. Be clean. He didn't have to, but he did. And you see Jesus' compassion here. You see his healing. You see his desire. I want you to know, I do want to make you clean. Be well. Then verse 14 surprises everyone. Then Jesus ordered him to tell no one. Now, have you ever read that or read a story like that and started scratching your head? When was Jesus ever against evangelism? You know, doesn't that sound odd? I mean, raise your hand if you're honest. I feel like none of you want to be honest. Have you ever read about Jesus telling, don't tell anybody, and kind of confuse you? Like, uh, why? You know, like, could you imagine being this guy? I don't know what his name was. I'm just going to make up a name. Let's say his name's Lee. Let's say he's Leroy. And Leroy's there, and he's like, now listen, don't go tell anybody. Now, imagine Leroy's walking to the temple, and someone's like, Leroy, is that you? Yeah, that's me. It's like, Leroy, you are told. What are you doing again? You're healed. What happened? And Leroy's like, I can't say. I, I can't tell you. Can't, can't share the news, you know? That's the kind of impression you get, right? Not what happened. Not what happened. He ordered him to tell him, and then he ordered him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. You know, what the, you know what Jesus, you could stay on the scripture. Don't go to the point yet. You know what Jesus was telling him? I'm giving you a testimony. I have a mission here. I, I want you to go to the priest. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus is showing his disciples, I want you to go to the outcasts and the unapproachable, the untouchable. I'm doing something I want you to follow me in doing. But what about the leper? I mean, who's the leper's leper? Who's the leper's unapproachable person? Who would the leper be bitter against and he's got some walls built and I don't want to go to them because I don't like them, they don't like me, they've ostracized me? Who, do, who is the leper's untouchable? The priest. Because the priest is the bad guy that declared them unclean. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus wasn't saying, don't let anybody know what I did. It's a big secret. 
That's not what Jesus is saying. Now, there is another, other times where Jesus says, don't go tell anybody because my time has not come yet. Jesus had a mission, and he had to go witness to more towns. He was still following the Holy Spirit. He, what, he didn't set his face to Jerusalem like flint. You know, he wasn't ready to get struck in yet. There, there was times, but not this time. Do you know that if this guy were to go to the priests at the temple, you know what everybody would be talking about all around town? Is Leroy synagogues, which people would go to the temple, go back to synagogue, and they would gossip. Those were gospel, still to this day, gossip centers. I mean, that was like the community center of the Jewish culture. At synagogues, that was the place. Jesus wasn't thinking, oh, if he goes get healed by the priest, you know what the priests are going to do? Tell their wives. You know what their wives are going to do? Tell all their friends. You know what the synagogues are going to hear? That Leroy got healed and what happened and by which power. And word was going to spread like crazy. Jesus knew that. He wasn't trying to stop his witness Jesus was trying to drive a a point home for you and me. Just as I am going to the leper, I am calling the leper to go to the priest. I want all of you to be reached. I want every single person. None of you are victims. You might be outcasts. You might be ostracized. Everyone's in the same boat. You are all, you all have somebody that will be against you. All of us, if we want to admit it, we have all created bubbles. There are certain people that, that are untouchable to us, that we would not want to be around, that we would not want to give one moment to care for and to reach out to and touch. In the history of our country, there have been divisions and wars over race. I heard a story one time of, uh, she's older now, she's a woman, but when she was a girl, she was in a neighborhood and she touched a, a, a black boy's hand and her parents told her, you're going to get his blackness on you, that kind of story. You've probably heard it. That, that's, more of a, that's more of a public story. Where there have been people where, you know what, we don't talk to them, we don't go around them. Uh, there's people in Newton that maybe if you pass by them and you think, I would never welcome them into my home. I would never welcome them to church. I'll tell you, one of the saddest days that I had at Grace um, Somebody at the church told me, uh, you know, there's a lot of churches around here where they were raised that you don't invite people into the church that are not like you because that's like inviting sin into the church. And it'll, it'll ruin us like leaven. It'll make us unclean. And it broke my heart. You're already unclean. You think they're worse than you? You think Jesus would, you know, if Jesus were a pastor here, Would he not want to invite anybody to himself and say, I have good news for you and I love you? People that don't dress like him, look like him, act like him, sinners. I mean real sinners. The drunkards, the prostitutes, the addicts, the ones who ruin their lives. And they know it. They know it's their own fault. The homosexual. Communities that we know are living in sin. Would Jesus say, "Uh, let's not invite them here. Let's not welcome them in. Let's not go reach out to them. Let's not go to them and love them. God told the people, lepers are unclean. They need to stay outside the camp so that it doesn't spread and destroy other people and kill other people. What would have happened if the Israelites said, that's true, we're going to follow Leviticus 13 and 14. But you know what else we're going to do? 
we're going to follow the rest of the Bible also. And we're going to create care packages. And we're going to get clothes together. And we're going to drop them off at a place. And we're going to send notes and letters to the leper colony. And we're going to tell them, we love you. We know you must feel so lonely and alone. God loves you. You are not alone. I know you feel unclean and dirty and you're not welcome, but I'm telling you, this could end. We will pray for you. We will care for you. We will reach out to you. What would happen if the Israelites didn't let them in the camp, but reached out to them and loved them? What would happen in our churches today if, if I could stand up here and say homosexuality is a sin, drunkenness is a sin? You need to be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers and what God's called you to do. Don't be full of that. That leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Encourage one another. That's what you think will happen if you drink, and sometimes it does. Sometimes it does, but don't do that. Be full of the Spirit. I'll put a new song, a different song in your heart. Don't give yourself to drugs. Don't self-medicate. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Have true joy that's everlasting. Come to me, and I will help you bear that burden. Don't try to numb away the pain. Let me be there in the trouble with you, and you will have greater faith and joy in me. I'm not saying call sin good or pretend like homosexuality isn't bad or do something as horrible as vote for the Equality Act. I know that causes a lot of enemies to be honest like that. I think those laws are horrible and they will only lead to destruction and harm because God's law is so good. But we should love people that disagree with us. We should be willing to hug them and reach out to them. You hate me. No, I don't. I love you, and God loves you. I don't agree with what you're doing. I think it's part of your downfall. But I know what it's like to be downcast. I know what it's like to be an enemy, to be sick. To be, I want to give you hope. Jesus was giving that leper a mission and a testimony just as he's giving us. And we ought to own the mission to testify. 